Hey everybody, Joseph here, one of the pastors at the First Presbyterian Church of Flint, and I wanted to welcome you to our sermon podcast, a show that features the latest sermons preached here at First Pres. But first, a little bit about us. The First Presbyterian Church of Flint is an historic downtown congregation, proudly part of the Presbyterian Church USA, the largest Presbyterian denomination in the United States. We have a vibrant and thriving ministry to our neighbors here in Flint and are engaged weekly in worship, faith formation, a dynamic ministry to kids and teenagers, and community building across generations. You can learn more at fpcf.org. You can check out our weekly live stream broadcasts on our channel on YouTube. But better yet, you can stop by any Sunday at 930 to worship with us. We'd love to welcome you and your family to worship. Now, here's this week's sermon. Let us listen now to a reading from the letter to the Hebrews. This is in the middle of a section where the preacher is telling the story of of saints who have gone before, people who looked a lot like you and me, uh, like us, Abram and Moses and Abel and Noah and uh, uh, Sarah and Rahab and just a, a slew of people who longed for God's promise to be fulfilled and who lived as testimony to the fulfillment of that promise, God's faithfulness. So let us listen well with them to this word. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land, but when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the lion's mouths, quenched raging fires, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others still suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Yet all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord, we say. Thanks be to God. And I love that passage. Faith, faith, we talk about it all the time. And many of us were raised to believe or now hold the belief that that faith is something like a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not. Faith, if we've got it right, we may think, is something like a fire escape from the torturous, flesh-licking but not consuming flames of a hell as described in Dante's Inferno. It is not. Faith is not a thing to be possessed in a way similar to a a $20 bill tucked neatly away in our wallet or, or the way we use tools such as an automobile, a skillet, or a hoe to perform some function that'll help us do what need be done, root out weeds, scramble eggs, get to where we want to get. Faith is not a memorized magical manifesto hidden within the secret recesses of one's heart to to recite when push comes to shove. It's not a thing we confess in the same way we may say, the words of a pledge that that get us into a club or secret society or, or even into a church. Faith is better than that. Now I know, I know trying to understand what faith is by saying what it is not is one way to consider the question. But ultimately, I think we're left feeling a bit shortchanged, cheated, and so we press on. Well, well, if that's not faith, then what is? Because Christian faith, we figure, Christian faith is, is like a ticket given us to hold in safekeeping for the day of judgment, at which time, if still intact and readable, will secure our admittance into heaven. The book of Hebrews, not really a book at all, but rather a sermon a lengthy sermon, amen? A sermon that's been growing on me over the past couple years to become one of, one of my very favorite reads in all of Scripture. The preacher of Hebrews is not really interested in defining faith for us through arguments neither apophatic, what it is not, or cataphatic, what it is. Those are two $50 words for you to tuck away. Rather, the the preacher's interest is in showing us faith. And he begins not, not with us at all, but with the source and the bearer of true faith, Jesus. 
Long ago, the sermon begins. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of God's very being, and and he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. God has spoken in various ways to our ancestors long ago and these days in a distinct way to us by the Son, who is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of God's being. It is through and for this Son that all has been created, and through this Son, All creation is being sustained. This is God's promise for us, for creation. And we begin to hear the preacher then tell about how Jesus is better, superior to angels, he says. And and he will continue that theme in the sermon, announcing Jesus to to be better than the law, better than Moses as mediator of a better covenant better than the Levitical priests and high priests, better than than all the temple sacrifices. Jesus is better. He doesn't say this in order to diminish or demean the testimony and holy place of those persons or offices and practices in the story of God's people, but rather to make it clear that those positions and practices reveal our longings are but signposts that point to the awaited fulfillment of the promise God made for creation to to be the inheritance given to God's Son, through whom its life, through whom our life comes and is secure. That promise is kept, he preaches not through the work of any angel or ancestral practice or position or person, all of which in their own creatureliness are powerless to fulfill such work. The promise is secured, he says, only by Jesus, who though he is God's son, humbly submitted himself to take up frail human flesh and through his suffering, learn creaturely obedience, and so do what all of they, all of we, cannot. For the sake of God's promise, the Son, Jesus, humbles himself to journey into the sin and suffering of humanity in order to redeem creation for the purpose God intends. The purpose God intends is shalom, wholeness, completeness, health, safety, plenty that that lasts not just for a moment, but eternally. 
through Jesus, God's new creation, the redemption of the broken, impermanent world we know is made only through Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Faith, then, the preacher is telling us, looks like Jesus. And faith rests safely in Jesus. And Jesus, the one now seated at the right hand of God Almighty, the the crucified, risen ruler of all creation, Jesus is a little too big to fit into one's back pocket. But he is the one we look to not only for our ultimate salvation, but for the redemption of our daily living. All right, look. I know that all sounds really foreign or highfalutin and oh-so-churchy. I can talk church really good. But this is the sermon of Hebrews. And while it's being told, we sleep through the first three quarters of it in which the story of the descent and the ascension of Jesus as fulfiller of the promise and true faith for God's people is told. We stare off into space as the preacher argues how Jesus is better than all else in creation because because the language and the arguments feel, feel like a slog through another Dostoevsky novel. Sketches and shadows, angels and law, priesthood, high priest, Melchizedek, for goodness sake, oaths and covenants and sacrifices. What is all this? So we flatten all this out as unenlightened gobbledygook. There's another $50 word as it is nothing, nothing that rhymes with our reasonings of how the world really works, how the world really is. It falls with dissonance on our battered cauliflower ears that now only listen for something with with a bit more pep, a a livelier tune that can lift our sagging spirits with with a beat we can dance to. And I hear you, friends. Trust me, I hear you. And so did the preacher of Hebrews. Turns out, we're really not all that different from his first congregation. In fact, he's preaching to a tired church who's looking for an inspiring word to to bolster and encourage them to to stay the course in line behind Jesus, the the one to whom they know they belong, who who calls them to keep to the humbly glorious trail he has blazed. But the way is becoming more challenging, more tedious, and their pluck is waning. They're tired. They're tired of the trials and persecutions laid on them by by the government because they follow Jesus. They're tired of being the butt of their neighbor's jokes because since following Jesus, their, their practices and life goals no longer conform. They're tired of earthquakes and droughts and floods and poverty and hunger, tired of deceit and lies that lead to nothing but pain and suffering, hatred and revenge. 
They're tired of the cheats and the crooks having the upper hand and, and getting whatever they want at expense of those simple, simply trying to eke out an honest living. They're tired of wars, violence, tired of sickness and pandemics, the way they, they not only scourge bodies but, but tear apart households and communities as well. They're tired of fear and anger and the perverse cynicism and hopelessness bombarding them from whichever way they turn and is settling in as the new norm among the people with whom they do business, work alongside, have cookouts, attend school, church, cultural functions, alongside the people with whom they live and love. They're tired. These Jesus followers are tired. Tired of waiting for that day of promise they heard Jesus had secured, that day when tribulations and pain and worry would, would finally be no more, death and grief, Abuse and violence, fear, deceit, injustice, no more. That promise took hold of them and, and corrected their vision to look not to a government for securing peace, not to the latest fad to give them joy, not to the newest religious guru on the scene to help them find their purpose in life. Refocus their eyes to look not to their bank accounts or physical health for their sense of security, not even to their house or family relations for a lasting place to call home. What they know is that no government, no economic status, no neighborly club or organization, no healthy body can offer them ultimate direction, purpose, security, or belonging. Not that what those do have to offer is necessarily abusive or morally bad in a way that they need to turn and hightail it out of there. They receive all the good those gifts have with, with gratitude. It's that they're finding, they're finding they, they all leave them wanting. There, there's not enough there to sustain them. The promise they received has them longing for a better country, a better homeland, ruled always rightly and truthfully, always with just mercy, that can always last. And that longing is burning hot. Nothing gold can stay, right? Robert Frost. What the Jesus followers have become acutely aware of is that all these entities in which they are living amongst and, and are engaged in government, economy, culture, family, well, they are all as bound as everyone and everything else, Jesus followers included, by, bound by death, which looms large to eventually claim all, even the best. And such awareness forces this community who, who now with eyes wide open to look beyond 
beyond what they can see and taste and touch and hold, what they can build and cash in or, or store away for a later day should they make it that far. Instead, They've been clinging to a promise given them by God in Christ Jesus, uh, the tangible reality of that promise, God with us. And they want desperately to keep clinging to Jesus, whose faith in God carried him as he journeyed from his heavenly homeland to pitch his tent and make God's home with us. He revealed the very character and purposes of God in his words, his actions, his power, his touch, his, his radiant face. Even through his agony on, the, on that cruel cross, God's glory shone brightly to permeate all creation with God's love that is ultimately better and whatever else we might chase after to try and secure the abundant life. Shalom, for which God created. And his resurrection from the dead, well, that just testifies to God's faithfulness. The preacher is reminding these early followers that in Jesus Christ, crucified, risen Lord, God is still with them, will never abandon them throughout their lifelong travels and all the comforts that come with living and in all the travails this side of heaven that, that any government or ruler or neighbor or family member might throw at them to cause distress, whatever powers might seek to overwhelm them, whether it be as concrete as, a, as some military power or as ghostly as an illness or hatred, they must know that this is not the final act of the divine story in which the preacher reminds them they are living in the divine story. It's a story going on for thousands of years since the beginning of time. That's what the preacher has been telling us. And, and finally, finally, in the last quarter of his sermon, our, our ears begin to perk up and, and we awaken from our slumber as our toes start to tapping unconsciously. Finally, he starts talking about something we understand, something our bodies can start swaying to. He begins naming names, not like Melchizedek, but ones we can pronounce, ones we are familiar with, ones we even, well, we even know a little bit of their stories, like Abel, Noah, and Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, and Joseph, and Moses, those Israelites at the Red Sea and, and at Jericho, Names like Gideon and Samson and David and Rahab. Yeah, preacher, keep on preaching. You're finally there. Keep on. We squeal with delight as our feet have finally found their rhythm, and it all begins to, to take a familiar shape as we begin to see before us people, real people who look like us. Look. We all, like them, live our lives. 
the life that has been given to us. We didn't, we didn't come into the world on our own. We did not choose to be here. We did not work for it and make it so. We are gifted with life, given life. Through the divine words spoken at the very beginning, the divine hand that reached out to scoop up the fertile soil created, clay-like soil as red as that of Georgia, soil taken up and blessed, even while being pinched and pulled and stretched and reworked like that on a potter's wheel until the shape was to the maker's liking. We were gifted with life as the divine breath into that God-shaped creature was blown to animate that fragile clay form and give it the power of sentient life And so we are called into being by God's word, formed by God's hand, inspired with God's spirit. We are given our lives, and yet we journey through the years, through the generations, thinking that we are our own, that we are on our own. And we live as if it were so, toiling to fill the days with meaningful purpose, because we all know the drill. Death comes to all. But then along the way, if we're lucky or blessed or chosen, I don't know exactly how to call it, something drops from the sky knocks us over the head, doggedly keeps poking at our arm like a child, speaks to our heart in a dream or or while driving down the road or staring up at the stars or, or while the preacher drones on and on. I don't know how you experienced it. Something suddenly awakens us from our slumber and we come to realize that we are not our own. We are not on our own. We do not belong to ourselves, nor does the world revolve around me and my wants and my wishes for my span of years. We are suddenly awakened to the fact that we belong to the one who made us, and our purpose is wrapped up in God's purpose for doing so in the first place. And we are blown away to realize that that we are part of something much bigger, much, much bigger than our limited span of years, something grander than our menial, though even maybe enjoyable work. We are blown away to realize that we are more beautiful and more precious and what or who we see when we look in the mirror. And life suddenly takes a change. We venture a new course set out from the land of the familiar while at the same time beginning to see it all with new eyes and set out to unfamiliar territory. We begin to live with our ears attuned to a new song, 
and we listen carefully for its cadence to direct our senses, our feet, our hands, our mind, our heart. And at times we're clicking on all cylinders, and at other times we've lost the beat and we bumble around or get knocked about. At times we feel alone and forgotten, while at others it's as if we are the life of the party. But we hold on to that awakening that has freed us from the arduous work of living life on my own terms or at the world's whims, knowing now that we belong to God. And God has called us all into being for his purpose. Shalom. And this God, this God who has promised that for creation, is the very one who in Jesus has fulfilled that promise and has been working out that purpose from from the very beginning. We discover we are but one link in the long chain that spans history. But each is precious and a holy link, as in Christ Jesus we all belong to God. This, this is what the preacher of Hebrews is trying to get across to his hearers. The faith of Jesus hems us in. We belong to God. You belong to God. When hit, disoriented, knocked down, Christ is our strength. Keep running the race. You belong to God. When corruption and sinful ways seem to hold sway, violence is held up as the way to peace, wrong seems so strong, and the world seems to be on its way to hell in a handbasket, Christ is our champion, and he is victorious over all that seeks to separate us from God's plan for shalom. Friends, hang on. He will never abandon you. You belong to God. So when you are faltering, when you're stretched to breaking and feeling that you cannot go on, not even one more step, look around and see that you are amongst a great cloud of witnesses who testify to the faithfulness of God and with them fix your eyes on the one who has run the race who has blazed the trail to God's promise for us fix your eyes on Jesus the pioneer the perfecter of our faith for through him we belong to God so take heart Remember that you, too, are called to be a living witness to God's faithfulness alongside all those who've gone before and are yet to come, those whom the world degrades, disregards as insignificant or deems as a shame. Continue to live as followers of Jesus.
through all that assails you, he is with you. He is the one who has traveled even through death itself so that we might be raised up into the fullness of life for which we've been created, redeemed, and now journey into. We are in his entourage with that great cloud as one's called to keep living that better life he revealed to be the life we were created to live, remembering that through him, that life is secure for all eternity. There's a great gospel hymn that came to mind. Will the circle be unbroken by and by, Lord, by and by? There's a better home awaiting in the sky, Lord, in the sky. Will the circle be unbroken by and by, Lord, by and by? There's a better home awaiting in the sky, Lord, in the sky. Thanks be to God. Amen.